Wondery Plus subscribers can listen to 60 Minutes ad-free right now. Join Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. This spring, if you'd rather spend time enjoying your lawn instead of trying to keep it alive, there's good news. True Green is the easiest and most affordable way to get a beautiful lawn. All you have to do is water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and even some things you might not even think of. They'll do all of it, while you can do literally anything else. With True Green, you can have your lawn looking as good as a putting green. That's not hyperbole. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. True Green offers a satisfaction guarantee, and they have a verified best price promise, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people guaranteed. Do you ever wonder where all your money went? Like every single time you look at your bank account? Honestly, it's probably all those subscriptions. I felt that way too until I got Rocket Money. Rocket Money helped me see all the subscriptions I'm paying for, and it was eye-opening. Between streaming services, fitness apps, delivery services, it all adds up so quickly. Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps lower your bills. Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has helped save its members an average of $720 a year, with over 500 million in canceled subscriptions. Stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash Wondery. That's rocketmoney.com slash Wondery. Rocketmoney.com slash Wondery. We are going to the Capitol. Who is Ray Epps? A former member of the Oath Keepers who served in the Marine Corps and was an ardent Trump supporter or at least he was, until conservative media post-January 6 began insinuating that he was a government plant for the deep state. What exactly was the role of Ray Epps in the chaos of January 6th? No matter how many times they push this conspiracy theory, this lie, it'll never become truth. The United States is in the middle of a maternal health crisis. Today, a woman in the U.S. is twice as likely to die from pregnancy complications than her mother was a generation ago. You've looked at this as a doctor, as a policymaker. What needs to be done? We have to prioritize motherhood, right? As a country, we have, and particularly in the Deep South, said that we're pro-birth. If we're really going to be pro-birth, we need to be pro-motherhood and pro-family. You'd be forgiven for double-checking your ticket to make sure you weren't at Madison Square Garden. This is New York's Metropolitan Opera. And in this corner, the maestro, Yannick Nézé-Séguin, only the third music director in the Met's 140-year history. Nézé-Séguin's eyes reach musicians in the pit and vocalists on stage, seemingly all at once. The bounce in his baton consecrates every note. I'm Leslie Stahl. I'm Bill Whitaker. I'm Anderson Cooper. I'm Sharon Alfonsi. I'm John Wertheim. I'm Cecilia Vega. I'm Scott Pelley. Those stories tonight on 60 Minutes. Looking to instantly upgrade your Mother's Day gift from typical to meaningful? Shop Etsy. 
Get up to 30% off well-crafted and personalized gifts from participating shops until May 12th. This year, embrace your creative side. You know, the side your mom gave you? And shop Etsy for custom jewelry, style pieces, home decor, and extra special items she'll adore. Need something original and affordable for Mother's Day? Etsy has it. Shop until May 12th for up to 30% off gifts for mom. Terms apply. Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. For millions of consumers of conservative news, Ray Epps is a notorious villain, a provocateur responsible for turning peaceful protests on January 6th into a violent assault on the U.S. Capitol. The irony is that Epps was a passionate supporter of President Trump, who went to Washington to protest the 2020 election. But as we first reported in April, his contradictory behavior on January 6th spawned a full-fledged conspiracy theory, casting him as a government agent who incited an insurrection. Today, Epps is in hiding after death threats forced him to sell his home. So who is Ray Epps? Tonight, you'll hear from the man himself. As soon as President Trump is finished speaking, we are going to the Capitol. It's that direction. At six foot four in his desert camouflage, bright red Trump hat and military-style backpack, Ray Epps stood out from the crowd on January 6th. That's him running toward the U.S. Capitol alongside the vanguard of rioters who first attacked and overran police. What do you think when you see this now? It brings back some bad memories. It's hard to see our Capitol under attack. It's been more than two years since the storming of the Capitol, but Ray and his wife Robin told us they relive January 6th every day of their lives. Some people have said, well, just let it go and let it die down. It doesn't. What they don't understand is it doesn't. What exactly was the role of Ray Epps in the chaos of January 6th? The theory... Epps, a former member of the Oath Keepers, was an FBI informant who incited the crowd on January 6th, bubbled up from a right-wing news site called Revolver News, run by a former Trump speechwriter. He's the smoking gun of the entire Fedsurrection. And landed on Fox News primetime. According to a new investigation from Revolver, Epps may have led the breach team that first entered the Capitol on January 6th. The convoluted conspiracy theory made its way to Capitol Hill. It's not the Proud Boys who engage in the initial breach. It's Ray Epps at that precise moment. How did Ray Epps know that there were going to be pipe bombs? Ms. Sadburn, who is Ray Epps? That question animated former Fox News host Tucker Carlson for nearly two years. Ray Epps? He's on video several times encouraging crimes, riots, breaches of the Capitol. Carlson focused on Epps more than 20 times on his top-rated show, a half dozen times this year. He's obsessed with me. He's 
going to any means possible to destroy my life and our lives. Why? To shift blame on somebody else. If you look at it, Fox News, Marjorie Taylor Greene, Ted Cruz, Gates, they're all telling us before this thing that it was stolen. So you tell me, who has more impact on people, them or me? Epps, once a loyal Fox News watcher, told us he doesn't understand how he got cast as the villain. The Epps version is more mundane. They believed the 2020 election had been stolen from Donald Trump and considered January 6th a legitimate protest. It was a sloppy election. And then to top that off, you have talking heads reporting that there's problems with the voting machines and different things like that. The election's stolen. So, yeah, we had concerns. I, I wanted to be there. I wanted to witness this with my own eyes. Epps went to Washington with his 36-year-old son and almost immediately stepped into trouble. The conspiracy theory starts here, the night of January 5th. Give me one minute. Give me one minute. Okay? On the streets of D.C., tensions were running high at a pro-Trump rally, being live-streamed on the Internet. The Marine veteran tried to take charge. I'm going to put it out there. I'm probably going to go to jail for it. Tomorrow, we need to go into the Capitol. Into the Capitol. What? No! To summon the crowd, Epps seemed so over the top, he must have been a government agent, a Fed sent to entrap them. When you said, we have to go into the Capitol, we have to go into the Capitol, what, what were you thinking? I said some stupid things. My thought process, we surround the Capitol, we get all the people there. I mean, I had, I had problems with the election. It was my duty as an American to peacefully protest, along with anybody else that wanted to. The next morning, January 6th, Epps was out by the Washington Monument, still focused on a single goal. We are going to the Capitol, where our problems are. It's that direction. Here, we're going to walk down to the Capitol. While President Trump was still speaking at the Ellipse, Ray Epps walked toward the Capitol. He told us he wanted to be up front to help keep the peace. What happened next at Peace Circle, where protesters first overran police, is seen as a smoking gun. Epps pulled this agitated rioter aside and said something. Conspiracists say he was giving marching orders, because seconds later, this happened. The first Capitol Police officer goes down. As closely as you can remember, what exactly did you say to him? Dude, we're not here for that. The police aren't the enemy. Something like that. Did anyone from the federal government direct you to be here at the Peace Circle at this time? No. No one from the FBI? No. Your old comrades with the Oath Keepers? No. I think what is so damning about the video is that there's a barrier there. The barrier gets knocked down and a police officer, a female police officer gets knocked down. And the mob, including you, walk over the barrier and march on right. toward the Capitol. 
Why didn't you stop to help this police officer who was, who was knocked over? When she was knocked down and I started to go towards her to help her up, and I saw a billy club over here in the corner of my eye, and I thought, you know, they're going to think I'm part of this. So I backed off. You were part of it. I was there. I wasn't a part of that, knocking her down. And he wasn't part of the violence. There's a big difference there. Is that you there? Ray Epps was never seen committing an act of violence that day or entering the Capitol. Epps told us when he saw the violence, his fervor to enter the building became a desire to play peacemaker. They're not the enemy. Appreciate you guys. And police body cam video backs him up. I thought I could stop it. So I went back and forth. I talked people down and worked the line back and forth. Step down, step down, we're good here, that kind of thing. And I kept it that way for quite some time. Take a step back. We're holding ground. We're not trying to get people hurt. They don't want to get hurt. You don't want to get hurt. Just back up. Epps says he left the Capitol grounds to help evacuate an injured man. The time, 2.54 p.m. I looked back at the Capitol, and there was people crawling up the Capitol walls, and it looked like, it looked terrible. I mean, I, I was kind of ashamed of what, what was going on at that point. So I, I started to walk out. He told us that's when he sent this text to his nephew. Conspiracists saw it as the true confession of an agent provocateur. I was in front with a few others. I also orchestrated it. Explain this to me. I was boasting to my nephew. I helped get people there. I, I was directing people to the Capitol that morning. You know how this sounds. I know exactly how it sounds. I've been scolded by my wife for using that word. I shouldn't have used that word. When you add up all of these things, as your critics have done, you've given them a lot of ammunition to paint you as this instigator. There was an effort to make me the scapegoat. If Ray Epps was a covert plant, he is the worst covert plant of all time. If you are part of some elaborate conspiracy against thousands of people in Washington, D.C., I don't know why you'd want to stand out from the crowd the way Ray Epps did. Tom Jocelyn is a researcher and author, one of the country's top terrorism experts, tapped by the January 6th committee to help write its final report, which found evidence far-right extremists like the Proud Boys planned and executed the breach of the Capitol. He says the committee interviewed Epps and found he wasn't important enough to put in the report. I wouldn't defend Ray Epps or anybody else who was on the Capitol grounds that day. I would just defend the facts. So the idea that he's leading the charge or really orchestrating it is just contradicted by this mountain range of evidence. And that's what the conspiracy theorists want you to, want you to do, right? They don't want you to look at this mountain range of evidence. They want you to turn around and focus on this pebble on the ground named Ray Epps. They also don't want you to look at what President Trump was saying and doing. He calls Epps' behavior baffling, but not evidence of a conspiracy. They've got to come up with some sort of connective tissue between Ray Epps and the FBI, and they've got none. And so they can make up all sorts of ad hoc arguments to justify their beliefs, but that's all they are. It's not actual investigative work. It's not actual evidence. The January 6th committee looked at the evidence, video, phone records, travel receipts. So did the FBI. 
When Epps got back to Arizona on January 8th, a relative told him he was on an FBI poster seeking information about certain rioters. We literally hung up the phone and walked right into the house, sat down and called the FBI. Do you remember what you said to the FBI? Told them who I was and that I would cooperate in any way I could. I didn't break any laws. Two months later, he met with agents. So when we met with the FBI, I mean, it was like, oh, finally, we're going to clear this up. Uh, There was no, I take the fifth. There was none of that. It was just like, we're talking right now. And went through everything. And they had a lot of questions. In the summer of 2021, the FBI took his picture off the Bureau's website. Epps thought that would end his troubles, but it only added fuel to the conspiracy. A new piece in Revolver News notes that the FBI removed a photo of Ray Epps from its most wanted page this summer. How about the one guy? Go in, go in, get in there, everybody, Epps. Get in there, go, go, go. Nothing happens to him. The Epps would dispute that. After former President Trump mentioned Epps by name, harassment and death threats picked up. I pray to come to you to kill you. What do you think when you open a letter like that? Scares me to death. It got so bad they were forced to sell their five-acre ranch outside Phoenix. They're now in hiding, living in this 300-square-foot recreational vehicle somewhere in the Rocky Mountains. We agreed not to disclose exactly where. It's so sad what people have done to Ray and to us and to our lives. Sometimes I've used my maiden name just so that we don't call attention. I have a hard time being a man, being, on, being a Marine, being on the run. I, I had to do the necessary things to keep my family safe. The FBI issued a statement to 60 Minutes in April saying, quote, Ray Epps has never been an FBI source or an FBI employee. Last month, Epps sued Fox News for defamation, accusing former host Tucker Carlson of promoting a reckless conspiracy theory. Carlson was fired by Fox News the day after this report first aired. Angie's List is now Angie, and we've heard a lot of theories about why. I thought it was an eco-move. Fewer words, less paper. No, it was so you could say it faster. No, it's to be more iconic. Must be a tech thing. But those aren't quite right. It's because now you can compare upfront prices, book a service instantly, and even get your project handled from start to finish. Sounds easy. It is, and it makes us so much more than just a list. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today. Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. The United States is in the middle of a maternal health crisis. Today, a woman in the U.S. is twice as likely to die from pregnancy complications than her mother was a generation ago. Statistics from the World Health Organization show the United States has one of the highest rates of maternal death in the developed world. 
women in the U.S. are 10 or more times likely to die from pregnancy-related causes than mothers in Poland, Spain, or Norway. As we first reported this past April, some of the worst statistics come out of the South, in places like Louisiana, where deep pockets of poverty, healthcare deserts, and racial biases have long put mothers at risk. Tonight, you will hear from some of the women trying to improve maternal health care in Louisiana and why they say last summer's abortion ban set off a domino effect, making a bad situation worse. The state of maternal health in the United States is abysmal, and Louisiana is the highest maternal mortality in the U.S. So in the developed world, Louisiana has the worst outcomes for women having babies. Good morning. As an OBGYN, Louisiana's former state secretary of health and founder of NEST, a primary health service for families, Dr. Rebecca Gee spent a career advocating for better maternal care. Renowned for its rich culture and legendary celebrations, Louisiana also holds the distinction of being one of the riskiest places in the country to give birth. 39 out of every 100,000 mothers in Louisiana die during or shortly after childbirth. How did we get here? Why is Louisiana in this position? The high C-section rates have contributed, the lack of access to well-woman care before and after pregnancies. 50% of the time, women don't get that postpartum care, which means they have untreated hypertension, untreated diabetes, untreated depression, the fact that we have racial bias in healthcare. And so all of these things are compounded, especially worse for low-income women. As Louisiana's Secretary of Health, Dr. Gee helped expand postpartum Medicaid coverage and push the state to track how race impacted care and maternal outcomes. Was it underreported? Absolutely. In the prior administration, when I was medical director, we were told we were not allowed to show data uh, that showed health disparities. There was because a real, why? Because the political establishment didn't want to admit that there were disparities. A state board now reviews and reports every maternal death in Louisiana. Dr. Gee worked with that board and found the results especially upsetting. Data showed 80 percent of maternal deaths in the state were potentially preventable. You've looked at this as a doctor, as a policymaker. What needs to be done? We have to prioritize motherhood, right? As a country, we have, and particularly in the Deep South, said that we're pro-birth. If we're really going to be pro-birth, we need to be pro-motherhood and pro-family, right? What so, does that look like? Making sure that women have time off to get their medical appointments. Making sure that we have affordable child care. Making sure that women have access to well-woman care. Access is a big hurdle for many women in Louisiana. So what's it like to raise a family here? Uh, a struggle. 28-year-old Teresa Dubois and 32-year-old Brittany Cavalier are both married and mothers of two. Thank you. They're expecting their third babies this summer. Who's going to win? Brittany runs the local daycare that Teresa's younger daughter attends. They live in Assumption Parish, a rural county of 21,000, where sugar cane is plentiful and doctors are scarce. So to give us a sense of kind of where we are, how close is the nearest pediatrician? Almost 45 minutes. OBGYN. An hour and 35 minutes. When you have to go to the OBGYN and it takes you an hour and a half. Oh, it's a nightmare. It's a lot. It's a lot emotionally. It's a lot in the car. It's a lot on your body just waiting that long to get help. A third of Louisiana parishes are maternal health deserts, 
meaning they don't have a single OBGYN, leaving more than 51,000 women in the state without easy access to care and three times more likely to die of pregnancy-related causes. The only hospital on assumption isn't equipped to deliver babies, so Cavalier and Dubois have to travel more than an hour to get to hospitals in Baton Rouge to give birth, a harrowing journey when there's an emergency. I mean, we are supposed to be one of the best countries in the world, and you, you just leaving the women out there to dry. Starting with the most marginal. Latona Giwa saw those disparities when she worked as a delivery room nurse. In 2011, she co-founded the New Orleans-based Birthmark Doula Collective. Hey, Trinity, how are you? Doulas provide emotional and physical support before, during, and after childbirth. Last year, the collective worked with 2,000 mothers. We work with the most marginalized families who are most at risk for poor birth outcomes. And we prioritize working with black and brown families, with low-income families. In Louisiana, black women are up to four times more likely than white women to die during or after childbirth. What do you see in your line of work that black and brown women are facing when they're pregnant versus a white woman? We live in a country that does not guarantee insurance coverage and health care to everyone. There is different and discriminatory care. Black and brown people are more likely to be on Medicaid. They're going to practices that are busier, that take more patients. And that's where the doula comes in. So you have your baby laying. Studies show better birth outcomes for black women who've had doula care. There you go. Good job. Birthmark's work in Louisiana caught the attention of Every Mother Counts. The maternal advocacy group founded by model Christy Turlington after she suffered complications with the birth of her daughter in 2003. I hemorrhaged. There was a lot of blood. There was a whole sort of stream of things that needed to happen. Really scary. Scary and painful. But it was when I got home and really started to think, what about everyone else in the world that this happens to but doesn't have that team of care working together, understanding what's happening and actively managing it. Those questions led Turlington around the world to document the challenges women face giving birth. Stories of midwives in Haiti and mothers in Baton Rouge. How do you compare U.S. maternal health care to maternal health care in the rest of the world? Well, the U.S. is one of eight countries that have actually had an increase in maternal mortality. So we're certainly at the bottom rung. Last year, Every Mother Counts distributed more than a million dollars to groups focused on strengthening maternal care in the U.S., a mission that became even more difficult last summer. After Roe v. Wade was overturned by the Supreme Court in June, Louisiana implemented a sweeping abortion ban. The ban set off a domino effect across the state, impacting women like Caitlin Joshua, a community organizer. <laughs> Joshua and her husband were thrilled to learn she was pregnant last summer. The couple have a four-year-old daughter and were looking forward to expanding their family. We started experiencing cramping. I've, you know, lost a lot of blood. She told us she went to Woman's Hospital in Baton Rouge, where they did an ultrasound, examined, and monitored her. Joshua says that's where the treatment ended. And so I said, okay, so is this a miscarriage? And the young lady, she said, I, I can't really tell you that right now. I don't know. And I said, well, what do you mean you don't know? We did the ultrasound. 
I recall her saying, we're just sending you home with prayers. We're going to hope for the best. So you're in pain. Mm -hmm. You think you're miscarrying, mm -hmm. and they say, we're going to send you home with prayers? Yes. You know, we're Christians, too. Like, we pray, but it just was very insulting in the moment just because women come there for answers. So it, it would have been nice to get a definite response. Women's Hospital told 60 Minutes it's complex. When diagnoses of early pregnancy loss is unclear, the standard of care is to wait. The next day, Caitlin Joshua told us her pain became unbearable, so she sought care from a second hospital, Baton Rouge General, where a doctor ordered another ultrasound. She straight up said, this doesn't look like a baby at all. Are you sure you were ever pregnant? This just looks like a cyst. Wait, she yeah. She questioned whether you were yeah, pregnant or not? Absolutely. And they discharged me maybe within an hour and a half or so after monitoring me. And on the paperwork, it literally said um, potential miscarriage or possible miscarriage, but nothing definite. Knowing what you know now about what your body was going through, could you have died? When I finally did get care from a midwife on like day five, she said that you certainly could have died. Um, she said the amount of blood you lost, the amount of fluids that you were passing was a lot for someone in such a short period of time. Why do you think there was such ferocious pushback mm -hmm. from not one, but two hospitals? I, I just have to believe that it is just the vagueness of the abortion ban in this state that's caused so much fear around physicians doing their job. We reached out to Baton Rouge General. They told us every patient is different and that since the ban, they have not changed the way they manage miscarriages or the options available to treat them. The hospital left Joshua with one option, to take Tylenol and monitor for worsening symptoms. In Louisiana, some physicians are now afraid to offer methods typically used to treat miscarriages because those same methods are used in abortion and could be seen as illegal, potentially landing health care providers in jail. To be clear, you were not seeking abortion. Mm -hmm. You were trying to have a healthy baby. You needed care, and nobody would touch you. Absolutely. I think a lot of times we fail to realize the intersectionality between maternal health care, reproductive justice, and abortion care until we understand that all of those things interconnect. We probably will not see change anytime soon. We take an oath to do no harm, and that's really our North Star as a physician. But when the prospect of doing that might cause you to be brought up on criminal charges, that's a really difficult place for our physicians to be. You know, what's drastic Dr. Jennifer Avegno has been an ER doctor for 22 years and is the current director of the New Orleans Health Department. Last summer, Attorney General Jeff Landry sent a letter to doctors about the new abortion ban that Avegno says paralyzed maternal health care across the state. The letter was something that I've never seen before as a practicing physician, a non-medical layperson inserting themselves into medical care. And there was a direct line about any physician who violates this will lose their liberty and um, medical license. And so really it was a threat. What kind of criminal penalties does a doctor face? At least one year and up to 10 years of imprisonment with hard labor. This is about going this to jail. This is about going to jail. Doctors don't want to be in a war with their own state. They want to be able to just practice. As the New Orleans Health Department director, Dr. Avegno has seen how doctors are struggling to interpret the language of Louisiana's new abortion ban. What they're being told is, well, you can consult with a hospital attorney. But I don't know of any other disease or process where routinely 
you're being told, we'll get the hospital attorney involved. That also brings up what if the attorney advises something that the physician really feels is harmful. So really what our physicians are facing is a terrible choice um, to make decisions that might not be in the best interest of the patient or risk going to jail. We reached out to three urban hospitals, rural hospitals, providers, and they said, we'd love to talk to you, but we're afraid. Yes. That has been the consistent echo from providers. There are several providers, I think, that would love to speak out, but we're told by their hospitals that it's too risky. So why are you sitting here today? I am concerned that we are going to see a worsening of our morbidity and mortality rates, um, simply because of access and simply because of fear. That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective, unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. Yannick Nézé-Séguin is a conductor operating at Triple Tempo at once the director of three major orchestras, in Philadelphia, in his hometown of Montreal, and in the Metropolitan Opera, New York, which has pinned on him the hopes for rebounding from financial crisis and the bold revamping of its artistic mission. Not that you'll catch Nézé Seguin sweating it. At 48, he's obliterating the stereotype of the strict, unapproachable maestro, joyfully keeping his musicians in time his hair bleached platinum blonde and a smile all but welded to his face. Known as much for his versatility as his virtuosity, Nézé Séguin, as we first told you in May, is reimagining the role of the modern orchestra and its place in the soundtrack of the modern city. You'd be forgiven for double-checking your ticket to make sure you weren't at Madison Square Garden. This is New York's Metropolitan Opera. And in this corner, the maestro, Yannick Nézé-Séguin, only the third music director in the Met's 140-year history. He's conducting a jazz-infused opera about a real-life boxing champion of the 1960s and 70s. All this is a radical key change from the standard Met lineup of Puccini and Verdi and Wagner. Nézé Sagan's eyes reach musicians in the pit and vocalists on stage, seemingly all at once. The bounce in his baton consecrates every note. This is the cathartic moment where, oh my God, this is so amazing, this is so impressive, this is so intense, this is so emotional. And this cathartic experience 
We feel transformed as a different person before and after listening to these pieces. There seems to be something sacred about your making music. Am I overstating that? No, no, you're not. I try never to take myself too seriously, but music has to be taken seriously. A pianist by training who's conducted the great philharmonics of Europe, Nazi Sagab brings his sensibility to bear up and down the eastern seaboard. In Philadelphia, he is the current custodian of what's been a world-renowned orchestra for more than a century. We visited in February as the city celebrated the contract extension through 2030 of a maestro known to all by his first name. Yannick! That morning, Yannick and his musicians made the pilgrimage up the famed Rocky Steps, clad in eagle's gear. He sees the orchestra, not unlike a sports team, as an instrument of cohesion in the community. Hey, hi, everyone, hi. In the afternoon, Neze Sagas stopped by Philly's premier performing arts high school to guest conduct the students. I think if we were to agree to bite even more in every note, like ta-ta-ta-ta-ta-ta-ta-ta-ta. That's it. That's what I'm talking about. 450 miles due north, back home in Montreal. They speak his language in more ways than one. He has a lifetime contract with the Orchestre Metropolitain. Nézé Seguin has led these musicians for more than 20 years. That's his husband, Pierre Tourville, on viola. The depth of his connection here produces hypnotic sound. Listen to this, a rehearsal of Sibelius's Fifth Symphony. Some weeks, Yannick leads performances in all three cities. Just last Saturday, he conducted a matinee in New York and the evening program in Philly. Then again, what is a conductor if not someone able to synchronize? I can't deny that it's a very demanding schedule, and even the word schedule, if should I ever retire, I want to ban that word from my life. Do you have a favorite child among the three orchestras you conduct? You cannot ask me this. Yet one child in particular, and isn't this always the case, demands extra attention and TLC. Can we have more importance in the third bar team? Pam, 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 pam. At the Met, the country's largest performing arts institution, we watched him wrangle 250 musicians and singers for a production of Wagner's Lohengrin a stalwart opera that gave us the bridal chorus. And Nézé Sagan's interpretations do right by the masters. What I want is to respect what Wagner wrote in the score. So it's very poetic and magical. What's really individual is me being completely at the service of the composer. Yannick took over the podium here in 2018, after his predecessor was fired for allegations of sexual misconduct. Facing weak ticket sales and perpetually strapped for cash, the Met has had a hard time rebounding from COVID and has dipped into its endowment to cover around 10% of its $300 million operating budget. Maestro to the pit, please. They've tried courting a younger, more diverse crowd here before, but Nézé Sagaz is doing it prestissimo, speeding up the tempo of change. 
He's betting that new composers and contemporary operas, some adapted from best-selling books and Hollywood hits, will bring in a wider audience and shore up the bottom line. And early results suggest he's right. A recent premiere of the opera Fire Shut Up in My Bones, based on a memoir by journalist Charles Blow and composed by jazz legend Terence Blanchard, sold out and outsold Verdi's classic Rigoletto here that season. What's more, half the seats were filled by first-time Met-goers. It's great, such a success, and yet I'm thinking that means that all of these people never felt compelled or, dare I say, welcome to come here. And that is my mission. First-timers were 50%. You saw that as both a triumph, but also sounds like an, an indictment. Mostly it's a tremendous encouragement to continue in that vein. The Met will put on 17 new and recent works over the next five seasons. This at a place that once went near decades without staging a new opera. This spring brought Champion, another Terence Blanchard composition based on the complicated life of Emile Griffith, a bisexual prizefighter. What can't you write an opera about? Hmm. Nothing. How do you thread that needle between experimenting and bringing in new audiences, but also not upsetting the traditionalists? The truth is, I'm not necessarily concerned about not upsetting traditionalists. I think people who love our art form are still going to love it because we're still going to play some Puccini and Verdi. To me, it's, it's never about not upsetting. And if some people are upset, well, too bad. They just don't have to come to everything we do. And that's about as prickly as you'll hear him get. Beyond Yannick's musicianship, his real hallmark might be his light touch. Okay, let's do it one more time. Take this rehearsal for Champion, the first time the orchestra, rhythm section, and singers played the piece together, but also that rare collaboration between a conductor and a living composer. He gets it. Terence Blanchard, a seven-time Grammy winner, is the first black composer in the Mets' history. He gets the story. He gets the whole notion of bringing these different styles of music together. One of the rehearsals with the orchestra, he said, listen, don't follow me, listen to the drums. Most conductors don't do that. I'm there for you. Okay, cool. We saw firsthand Yannick's responsiveness when soprano Latanya Moore asked him to slow things down. Can we go in here slower? I just want to really get everything out. Yeah. So, right from the base. Is there a worry, though, that your authority might be undercut by all these good vibes? I think it's the old concept of authority, which is because uh, I say so and because I can fire you, I'm going to tell you what to do. That's not working anymore. And I will go even further, even the masters of the past. Toscanini, for example. Fantastic musician. Of course, I respect a lot of this, but you can hear with some recordings with Toscanini, especially with singers, you could hear the fear in their voice. And to me, that's not expressive. You can discern that. Oh, yeah. Oh, I'm sure you could. Like, oh, like they're trembling because they fear. Because already to open your mouth on the stage is already nerve-wracking. If you have a conductor who's waiting for you to fail, it's going to be even more nerve-wracking. The music doesn't win. The music wins when everybody feels free to express who they are. 
Yannick found that freedom for himself as early as grade school. Here he is leading an imaginary orchestra in front of classmates. He studied at the Conservatory in Montreal, a music town with a church on every corner. He led the church choir in his teens and trained his ear in less formal ways, too. I would go to a record store and buy CDs and discover repertoire after repertoire, every symphony by Brahms, every symphony by Beethoven, by Bruckner, by Mahler. I wanted then to hear every version and buy every version of every symphony. And I'm not shy to say that it, it's, it's shaped a lot of who I am as a musician because eventually I became a collection of like 12,000 CDs. Last winter, we visited his parents at Yannick's childhood home, the kind of folks who keep every clipping. Yannick told us when he was a boy, he collected thousands and thousands, maybe 10,000 CDs. Yeah, more than yeah, that. He wasn't exaggerating. No, oh, no, 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 not at all. Not at all. Where did you put them? He made the shelves for <laughs> And it was his mom who managed Yannick's schedule throughout his 30s as he worked the international circuit, London, Vienna, Rotterdam, guest conducting 100 orchestras. He made his Met debut in 2009 persistence paying off. And if today he's living the dream, he's also conscious to live his life. He and Pierre go on the road together. We met them at a spot in old Montreal where they had celebrated their wedding. They make a point of going out after every performance. Friends, family, members of the orchestra, colleagues, colleagues, some people together to eat well and drink a little. Of all the musical moments in the couple's history, we were surprised when Yannick highlighted this one. The time Pierre and Celine Dion serenaded him on a popular Quebec talk show, a kind of musical This Is Your Life. Of course, it's one of the most moving moments of my life. Not everybody can say that they've sung a uh, duet, duet with, with Celine Dion. Duet with Celine Dion. <laughs> I mean, Bocelli and Barbara Streisand. Yeah, and, uh, that's, um, um, and Pierre. Yeah. Pavarotti. And Pierre. <laughs> wow. Maybe it's a hard turn from Celine to the Met for most conductors. Not so for Yannick Nézé-Séguin. Yes, he takes music seriously, but resists being too precious about it. You have to trust the acoustics. He's too busy smudging boundaries that have long kept some audiences away from classical music and opera. I would love that when I finish my time on Earth, that no one ever says again, oh, classical music, It's not for me, it's for the educated, it's for the rich, it's for the white, Uh, whatever it is. You know, I want everyone to feel, oh yeah, I could like it, some of it. I don't like Mozart, but I like Blanchard. Fine, but at least you feel that you could go there because there would be something for you. What would Puccini and Verdi and Wagner make of all this? One suspects they would join in the applause. They, after all, were once musical boundary pushers too. For a look at how 60 Minutes reports its stories, go to 60MinutesOvertime.com. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. 
Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. I'm Bill Whitaker. We'll be back next week with another edition of 60 Minutes. If you like 60 Minutes, you can listen early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. Prime members can listen ad-free on Amazon Music. Before you go, tell us about yourself by filling out a short survey at wondery.com survey. What came first, the chicken or the egg? Spoiler alert, it's neither. At Happy Egg, we believe happiness of the hens is what actually came first, because without happy hens, there would be no such thing as happy eggs. You know, eggs with delicious orange yolks. Those come from hens who are raised the happy way on eight plus acres of family owned farms. Choose happy at happyegg.com and look for the yellow carton at a store near you. Happy Egg. Look around. You can find cars like these on Auto Trader, like that car riding right your tail. Or if you're tailgating right now, all those cars doubling as kitchens and living rooms are on Auto Trader too. Are you working out and listening to this ad at the same time? Well, multitasking pro, cars like the ones in the gym parking lot are for sale on Auto Trader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on Auto Trader. Just you wait. Auto Trader.